Hello, welcome to today's episode. I'm really excited about the episode that you're about to hear. We're joined by Dr. Cormac Ryan. Cormac Ryan is a professor of clinical rehabilitation at Teesside University in the UK. He possesses a diverse educational background, including a Bachelor of Science degree in Sports and Exercise Medicine, a Master of Science degree in Physiotherapy, and a doctorate focused on pain management. We talk a little bit about this in the episode, so stay tuned for it. More importantly, he is the community pain champion of Flipping Pain, a public awareness campaign with a clear goal on changing the way we perceive and think about pain. He also serves as the co-lead for Petal, it's called Pain Education Team Aspiring Better Learning, an international, which is an international collaborative effort dedicated to enhancing public comprehension of current theories surrounding the mechanisms of pain. A fun fact, he was once stood on by an elephant, and if you are ever <laughs> coming across him, I highly encourage you to ask him and hear about the story behind that. We are also joined by Neha, our co-producer for the show, and I am your host, Aditi Bhatt. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, how are you, Aditi? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, I'm well. Thank you for your time, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Uh, fun fact for the listeners, uh, this is separate from the fun fact we discussed before recording, but Dr. Cormac, Cormac, he insists that I call him, is quite the professor version of an improv comedian. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of you to say. Um, uh, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm certainly, my kids wouldn't agree with you, that's for sure. Um, but uh, um, certainly in the in the the campaign that I'm involved in um, called Flip and Pain, which I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk about uh, um, um, later on. At length. Yeah, absolutely. The it, because it's a public engagement campaign, it needs to be something that catches attention and doesn't just inform. It kind of entertains and and, and keeps people's keeps people's engagement for a you know 45 minutes an hour that's a really really long time especially on a, a sort of a scientific topic which could potentially be really really dull um, and dry yeah absolutely so we purposefully try and make it entertaining put in some gags here and there just to keep uh, keep it light and keep people engaged and the trick is to balance it against the seriousness of the topic, because of course, chronic pain is no joke. It's it's a really, really serious condition that affects um, a quarter of the world's population. Mm. And it has devastating effects on um, people who, who suffer from it. So yeah, it's a fine balance to, to thread between being um, respectful and uh, uh, um, empathic, but at the same time, entertaining and engaging and, and sort of warm. Do you know what I mean? So we, we try and yeah. uh, 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 thread that line. And so far, I think we do a reasonably good job at it. I would agree with you. Um, I've watched all the YouTube videos on your YouTube channel and it, I've never been more engaged. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Um, so getting into the swing of things, um, we ask everybody who comes onto the show this, but how did you get into the field of pain management in the first place? And you've had quite a journey. You have a diverse educational background. So how did you land up here? Yeah, so I grew up in Ireland um, um, and I applied to do physiotherapy and I, I wasn't clever enough. Um, so I, I didn't get the points. It, 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 and so I, I did sports and exercise science in Ireland. I did get the points to do that and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a wonderful, wonderful education and it really gave me a great passion for science and scientific inquiry. Mm -hmm. um, but I still really wanted to work in the health sector and help people in that way. So I, I went on to apply to become a physiotherapist in Scotland, in Edinburgh. And that's that's where I, I studied to be a physiotherapist. I did a master's there. And when I finished that, although I really, really enjoyed the clinical component of it, yeah. Um, and I, I went on to do some clinical work and I still do little bits of clinical work occasionally. Um, it was the scientific component. It was the research projects component mm. that I really loved. And so I applied to do a PhD. And in, in the neighboring city, Glasgow, 
there was a PhD going in back pain. And um, so I, I uh, applied for that and I got it. And um, at the time, I had a very biomedical view of mm. um, pain. Yeah. My intention was to um, take backs that were out of alignment yeah. to use manual techniques to realign them mm-hmm. and that would cure their back pain. That was my intention as a, as a, 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 a 22 year old. Um, but then I read a book called Explain Pain and it, it, it challenged a lot of my understandings or, or, mm. or perhaps misunderstandings about pain. And it really introduced me to the biopsychosocial model in a in a, a very comprehensive way. I had been aware of the biopsychosocial mm-hmm. model and I had um, tried to practice it, to use mm-hmm. it. But when I look back, I was really only playing lip service to it. I was really only doing it in a tokenistic Mm -hmm. way, Um, applying it in a way of, okay, let's let's say the biomedical is 99% and the psychosocial bit is is 1%. Mm -hmm. And I think that book opened up my eyes to the the enormous power that... um, the psychosocial component brings to it for all stakeholders, not just the healthcare professional, but mm-hmm. primarily for the, the patient, the mm-hmm. person living with the condition. If you can guide them to understanding health in a biopsychosocial way, it unlocks enormous potential. And, um, and so that, that book very much led me on to to in, include a more biopsychosocial approach mm-hmm. within my phd and post phd um i continue to to do research that is very um educational based and um biopsychosocial based and it does not mean that i um sort of reject or dismiss the body or, 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 or physical elements, I think to do that would be to dismiss 33% of the biopsychosocial model. You know, yeah. of course the body is important. Of course, movement and efficient movement is important. Um, however, if we should be talking about it in a way that is coherent and runs neatly in parallel with psychological issues and social issues. So we maximize all three to benefit our patients. Hmm. Um, so your work, I was going through flipping pain, uh, is inspired by, it's also inspired by the work of Professor Laurie Marmosley. Sure. Yes, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, uh, he's been a huge uh, influence on my career. And um, one of the great joys is that now actually we're, we're doing some work together. Which yeah. is really, really nice. Look, it's 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 um, it's it's very humbling and very exciting when you uh, um, get to work alongside one of your 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 idols. He won't like hearing that word idol because he's a very humble guy, and he's he's also um, uh, not wanting to. He doesn't want to focus on personalities, but rather the science. But you know. Uh, naturally, there are people you look up to and respect within mm-hmm. the field, and it is lovely to be able to 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 work with one of those people who I've sort of admired from a very uh, early point in my career. So, how did that collaboration come out? Like, how did that? How did you? How did you land that? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very very nicely put. How did I land that? Um, that's. It's interesting. Um, so I met Larimer um, 
whilst I was still doing my PhD because I, mm. I used pain science education and, and the book Explain Pain within my PhD. And when he came over and was touring uh, uh, the UK, delivering his talks, etc., I managed to, to, to get to one. And I, I began to ask him about what he was, you, you know, his, his technique so I could learn and, and sort of replicate within the research that I was doing. And um, since that, I've continued to do research in that area. And I think because we're both researching in the same area, we are, our, our paths have crossed mm -hmm. at various points over the years. Uh, I would say that probably progressively over time, they crossed a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. Um, and it probably then culminated in, in the beginning of the, the Flip and Pain campaign. So um, Lorimer uh, um, instigated the Pain Revolution uh, campaign in Australia. It's a public health campaign which tries to take pain science education and bring it to the masses. Um, it it specifically targets targets um, rural communities in Australia, um, where um, perhaps they're 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 a little isolated. Uh, um, they're they the the I was going to say that public understanding might not be fantastic, but that suggests that public understanding is is poorer in these rural communities than it is in, in cities. And that's just not the case. Yeah. Un unfortunately, uh, understanding about persistent pain is not so great um, um, everywhere. Um, <laughs> and that's not just amongst the public, that's amongst right. healthcare professionals as well. Um, so, but, uh, you know, he felt passionately about the, the health and well-being of these rural communities. So, uh, and he also loves to cycle just so what he did was he set up this Peloton tour, which would cycle literally hundreds and hundreds of miles from a rural town to rural town mm -hmm. um, because of the vast size of Australia. Uh, uh, you, you know, you could cycle for, you know, 100, 200, 300 miles and, and not get to another town. Oh, um, you know, it, 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 it's a huge, a huge area. Um, so him and his his colleagues, groups of healthcare professionals and scientists uh, um, would cycle from town to town, essentially doing community engagement events. Mm. Uh, uh, so public speaking, public talking, and they, they, they had their their brain bus uh, um, where they would do experiential learning, mm -hmm. getting people to to engage with things like uh, uh, um, uh, illusions um, to help them to understand how our experiences are influenced by everything, context, um, surroundings, beliefs, etc. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, and, and then translating that across into understanding how pain is also influenced by, mm -hmm. by, by a variety of things. Um, so they, they did that, um, I can't remember the exact year, uh, but they, they, they began doing that. And um, on the back of that, then over here, um, a colleague of mine, uh, Richard Pell, uh, mm. who who works for a company called Connect Health, who are a, a, a private provider of healthcare in in the UK, mm -hmm. um, were essentially they, they picked up on this idea and they, mm -hmm. they 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 really liked it. They thought that um, it could do a, a a great deal of good, and I think they 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 foresaw it as something that could supplement their ongoing clinical mm. care to have a sort of a public uh, health program running in the same area right. would create a cohesive messaging and package of mm. care mm. for the area starting from um prevention and i i use the word prevention loosely uh, 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 right the way through to primary, secondary, and tertiary, tertiary mm -hmm. type care. Um, so uh, they then um, said, right, well, we need someone to to help us yeah. to put together some of the materials and then to deliver it. So they, they had auditions. Um, a variety of people showed up. And they asked me to come as well. 
I auditioned and they said they offered me the post. And um, after that, then the we have six key messages. Yeah. And those six key messages were more or less formed by the time I, I came mm. on board. Um, and you, you'll recognize those six key messages from uh, again, from Larimer's group's work, the, the work of Haley Leak, uh, you'll see it, she published it in, in the Journal of Pain um, in, I think it was 2022, but it, they would have, hmm. they would have been working off earlier versions of, 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 of the, the work. And um, it they, they, they had essentially taken, what are the messages clinically hmm. People have found useful, powerful in their uh, uh, in yeah, their journeys um, from sort of undergoing pain science education informed care, uh, and they they put together a number of key things, and, and, and there was there was actually three key ones that kind of jumped out. And I'm paraphrasing here; I'm not using the same terminology. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, simply because I can't remember the exact same terminology. <laughs> but it was essentially, and I'll, I'll use the flip and pain ones because they're, they're the ones that are, are more in my lexicon yeah. at this point. But uh, so that hurt does not mean harm. In mm. other words, pain and injury are two separate things. You can have terrible pain and no injury, and mm. you can have terrible injury and no pain. Okay. Pain and injury are, they're two separate phenomena. And they often hang out together you know that sometimes they're 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 chums and they'll go to the pub together mm -hmm. they'll work together they'll 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 live together and other times they live very much apart in totally different countries mm -hmm. uh, um and it would it would appear that and i i'm this is this is more of a, a bit of a generalization i guess but over time they drift further and further apart. So whilst mm -hmm. acute pain, short-term pain, might be a, a little bit more linked and associated with uh, um, tissue injury, mm -hmm. that 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 association becomes weaker and weaker over time. So if we're thinking about persistent pain, uh, um, that re relationship is is much much weaker. Now that doesn't mean that the tissues are not important. It just means that they 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 influence, mm. but they are not the same as mm. pain. Pain is a separate entity. Um, so that's the first key message. Hurt doesn't necessarily mean harm. Yes. And then the second thing they found w w relates to the the, the third. A flipping pain key message, mm -hmm. which is that everything matters when it comes to pain. So yeah. pain is a biopsychosocial experience influenced by biological, psychological, and social things. And then the the third key thing that kind of came from their data was the the idea that recovery is possible. Now this, uh, in some ways, is actually quite controversial because mm -hmm. chronic pain is a long term condition, yeah. and um, as such, there's there's a, there's a there's quite a debate as to whether people can recover or not, um, and I would argue that the the data and clinical experience would support the idea that absolutely they can, but that recovery perhaps means different things for different people. Uh, uh, and I, I'm sure we, we could we could talk about that more at different yeah. points. But it, it it can mean reduction in pain and resolution of pain, indeed, for some people. For others, it might just be feeling better in themselves despite their pain, or being able to go back to work despite their pain. Mm. It, it, it's it's different things. But uh, so if we look at the people within the flip and pain campaign, who people with lived experience, who who are part of the 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 the, the uh, workshops we deliver, etc. Um, many of those will say, I, I, am, I am recovered. I'm, yeah, I'm recovered from chronic pain. But they'll also say, I still have pain. Do you, do you see what I mean? So, but yeah. it, but it, do, it no longer dominates their lives. Right. They have gotten their life back. They are, uh, um, they've, they've taken control of it and they, they, they are now living sort of rich, fulfilled lives mm -hmm. where where pain 
is something that's I, I guess uh, in their lives, but it isn't their lives. Yeah. yeah. Um. So those. So it was there. The those sorts of messaging had uh, uh, been developed from their clinical work, Larmer's right. group's clinical work and, and Haley Leake's work. And, and they transformed those into um, their public health messaging. And essentially, Flippin' Pain has, uh, I guess, adapted, developed, used that information, but then put its own spin on it mm -hmm. and made it appropriate for, for a UK population uh, uh, as well, I guess. Um, and again, Lorimer has been extremely generous in this, in that um, he has he's he's helped greatly in uh, creating and facilitating the flip and pain okay. campaign. Been very very generous in his materials and time, and um, and very supportive. So supportive, in fact, that when we ran our one of our Peloton tours in in May of this year, he and his his colleague Peter Gilchrist came and and joined in and 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 went with us and he delivered some of the events uh, which was brilliant so it was really really nice he delivered some events i delivered some events uh, in the public and then we had a number of really really skilled clinicians such as deepak um mm -hmm. delivering healthcare professional talks running alongside it so it was it was really really good um but i'm digressing a bit but that i guess to to answer your your story uh, your question in a more brief way. I think I've known Larimer for years, uh, but uh, I think the 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 public health agenda mm. is something which has brought us kind of closer together. Uh, and his his uh, um, sharing and um, supportiveness of the flip and pain campaign has has meant that we've worked a bit more together, and which has been a real delight and joy and and it's actually led then to another initiative so larimer and i um uh co-lead the petal group yes um so uh we uh, uh so that it, we we it's called the pain education team of absolute legends yes. it's what it's what we secretly <laughs> call it but actually it's the pain education team aspiring better learning and it's it's a uh an international collaboration of um, scientists and clinicians and indeed people with lived experience mm -hmm. um, coming together to write what we think are state-of-the-art papers on um, pain science education related mm -hmm. issues from how to deliver it, how to deliver it in different contexts, what the curriculum might be, um, how you might deliver it for different populations, how you might take a public health approach to it, how you might assess its mm -hmm. uh, uh, effectiveness, um, a variety of different, the mechanisms by which it might work, loads of different questions, taking kind of some of the leaders of, of this specific area of research, bringing mm -hmm. them all together to, 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 to co-write. Uh, that's been a real joy. I'll let you into a secret. It was Larimer's uh, 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 um, idea you would that won't surprise you overly but he was again he was very kind and generous to take me on board and ask me to co-lead it with him and um yeah it, it we're it's been um uh, um it's gotten a sort of rubber stamped by EFIC, the european federation mm -hmm. of, of of pain uh, um, and it's lovely to have their kind of support and have that backing and um yeah we we we're in that sort of collaboration is in its infancy mm -hmm. um but what we hope is that over time as we we build up sort of critical mass and a bit of momentum that we will grow and and begin to be able to perhaps to begin doing um sort of more primary research as part of that collaboration okay. rather than the secondary work we're doing now. But I think we have to do that secondary work first to provide the, the baseline to then take it on to, to, to more primary stuff. So yeah, that, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's a very long answer to your question. But that's brilliant. And for listeners who are completely confused right now, um, do check the <laughs> description link because we are going to be providing all of the links to everything that Karma mentioned right now. Um, Professor Mosley has a, beautiful website it's called tame the beast 
Yes, yes. And he talks about how people perceive pain and website talks about people perceiving pain and mm. how that really influences how they experience pain. Absolutely. Um, it's a, I highly encourage everybody listening to this, watching this to go um, visit all these resources because then this will all make sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, 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 um, and sort of on, on the Flip and Pain campaign we website, we, we also uh, link out a to a number of, yes. of resources and that's one of our key resources because it's so good. We, so we've got a, we've got a combination Including of- Including the three key messages that's also into tiny YouTube videos that also I'll be linking down below. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, I think making things bite size is really important. Yes. Um, we're uh, discovering that as well on our YouTube channel because nobody wants to watch 45 minutes of dry material, which is very important, but- Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the joys of the online world. You can put um, a variety of different content of a variety of different lengths and, and depth uh, and complexity. And you can put it in such a way as the consumer can say, OK, well, look, I've, I've got three minutes or I've got five minutes. That's all I want to look at. But if they get if that hooks them, they might think to themselves, okay, God, I'd love to find out more yeah. about that topic. And there's a direct link to a 45-minute hour session on it. I think what will be really exciting is when these systems become more interactive. And I, I don't think that's very far away. And we certainly mm -hmm. have plans in that direction. Um, but so that they're not so didactic. Mm -hmm. um, because education really good education should not be didactic one-way information giving really good education is a is a two-way thing that constructs shared understanding and that's challenging to do in the clinical one-to-one -one setting and the indeed the occupational health one-to-one -one setting yeah. um but it's really difficult to do in a, a, a public health or yeah. a, a health promotion, public uh, occupational health setting. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it, it can be done. And I, I think technology is a, a really exciting way that might facilitate some of that sort of back and forth engagement. I'm hopeful that it will. But coming back to flipping pain, um, what excites you most about the awareness work that you do? Because uh, you run a bunch of different campaigns, is that right? Yeah, well, so it's it's the same campaign. It's the Flip and Pain campaign, but it gets uh, commissioned by various different um, healthcare boards regionally. Mm -hmm. um, so we've just been to the Isle of Man which uh, for three days, which was wonderful. So the Isle of Man is a small little island just off the coast of um, England between Ireland and England mm -hmm. and uh, it's got a population of about 87,000 and it's it's a it's it's a it's hard to explain it's a territory of the UK and people in the Isle of Man um, can have British passports mm -hmm. and, and 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 there's a you know they're they're very very linked and integrated mm. but at the same time they're their own little island with their own parliament they've got they they've got one of the oldest parliaments in the world the timwald which is over a thousand years old which they're really really proud of uh, and rightfully so um so it's a, it's a lovely lovely island lovely people but we were we were there for the past three days we ran two public health events mm -hmm and two uh, healthcare professional events. One was short and sweet and one was a day long. Mm -hmm. And um, um, we essentially trying to convey our, our, our key messages and to shift understanding. And it's part of a program of work they're doing on the island to try and shift the way that they mm -hmm. approach persistent pain. And it's, it, it's taking it from, a, from all different levels not just in, in the clinic but but in the public health uh, uh, approach as well and the the idea i guess is to create a coherent system mm -hmm. where people get clear and consistent messaging mm -hmm. um 
I would say that what currently exists is a heavily biomedical model dominated uh, um, system where uh, um, because of their understanding of, of, of how pain works being very uh, essentially part of the old outdated biomedical understanding, mm -hmm. they understandably patients come in expecting and, and wanting um, the care that they believe will help. And mm -hmm. because their beliefs are so integrated with the biomedical model, that includes things like strong medications like opioids, mm -hmm. um, scans, mm -hmm. and um, surgical approaches and injections, etc. These sort of quite um, interventional type approaches. Mm -hmm. And it's totally understandable that they they would they would want and seek those in their uh, um, a sort of understanding of of how pain works. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you've got healthcare professionals, who again I would argue broadly have a biomedical dominated understanding of how mm -hmm. pain works, and as such, they want to give biomedical based okay. interventions <laughs> like medications and surgeries and um, scans. It, it makes kind of sense to them. And even though the guidelines say we should be moving away from those things, because that's what the evidence would suggest, mm. but the, it, the, their belief systems are still very, very biomedically dominated. So you've got a perfect push-pull system. Patient want Patients want biomedical stuff. Mm -hmm. Healthcare professionals yep. want to give them biomedical stuff. Everyone's on the same page. That's what happens. The unfortunate thing is everyone's on the wrong page, right. I would argue. Uh, if only we could turn over to the next page. Uh, and everyone read, after they read the bio bit, they read the psychosocial bit. Right. Now, I guess just, you know, if, if we think this, it's, the book is more than just one page. Uh, and I, I think when we turn the page and we, we see, oh, there's a psycho and a social page as well. I think if we could get the both players reading off those three pages, mm -hmm. then I think we create a, a push-pull system that um, is more in keeping with evidence-based care. Imagine a, a scenario yeah. where the patient comes in and says i've got this i've got shoulder pain and um um i'd i'd really i've i've been checked out i've been you know it's been i've had it for for months and months and months um and i i'm 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 i'm, I'm I, what i'm looking for is some rehabilitation i'm looking for i want to engage in active physical and psychological therapies to really help me move on because that's those are the things that i i i, I know can sort of help with my persistent pain and then you had healthcare professionals who said oh how fantastic Do you know i'm trained in mindfulness i'm trained in um cognitive behavioral based interventions this is this is right in my toolkit um let let's 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 work together on this you'd you'd have a diff a push and pull system but one that was more in keeping with the evidence yeah and i can't imagine that right now you're having a lot of easy conversations every conversation you have either with the public or with the provider is a is a rather difficult one where you have to go through the same motions over and over again is that so um, it's interesting, you know, I think, I think it's all about how you communicate. Um, these, the, this, for what, I gotta say new understanding of pain was not the, it's, it's not well a new understanding of pain. I'm, I'm, yeah, I didn't yeah. Say that. we don't, we don't want to cross, we don't want to cross Deepak. Uh, absolutely. No, no not uh, at all. Uh, <laughs> um, but this, this more more current more more uh contemporary approach 
it's it's actually it makes a lot of sense um and once you take the time to explain it to someone and they take the time to um listen mm -hmm. and you both take the time to converse and have a have a have a have a meaningful engagement about mm -hmm. it where, where there's listening and talking both sides um people get it do you know what i mean and, and they, they, yeah. they, they they get it it's it, it, and it for some it's a it's 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 a, it's a real light bulb moment you can see it on their faces um certainly in the public engagement work mm -hmm. that we do you know you've got a, a you know let's say a, a, a room of 100 faces and you're going through the process mm -hmm. and you can see their 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 light bulb moments their mm -hmm. aha moments and they come at different points throughout the throughout the sessions um but and, and then what's really nice is occasionally they get back in touch and they they um they send just emails or tweets or whatever to the campaign saying, you know, and a lot of the time, the consistent term we hear is things suddenly made sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There will be a lot of people going, why does my neck still hurt after three years? I've had so many scans. I've had, uh, you know, injections. I've had a surgery. I've had whatever why is my neck still hurting? Mm -hmm. And um, it's for, for, for those individuals, I think this information, if, if the circumstances are, are right mm -hmm. and they get it, I think it, it can be really, really life-changing uh, for them um, and, it, it, and empowering for them. I think that's an, a really, really important part of, of what we do it's not about engage it's not just about engaging and educating it's about empowering mm -hmm. um it i i, I think it, it's it's a crucial part of of health literacy now health literacy is a is a huge topic in itself and has multiple factors and components and what we do is not health literacy in its entirety mm -hmm. but it's an important part of it it's the component of giving people um enough information that they can then engage with the with their clinician with the with the um literature with with the internet and, and make more informed decisions for themselves yeah um that yeah I was talking to uh, Dr. Jay Shah, who's also coming to Premis, and he's done a lot of research into myofascial trigger points and central sensitization. And uh, we were doing an episode on chronic pelvic pain with Dr. Alec Ibuyu, who's also coming to Premis, but uh, she was talking about how they, I mean, they were talking about how they come across a lot of patients who say that I told my doctor that I still feel pain after surgery, and what they told me was, oh, you, you shouldn't feel pain anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I think, I think this is there's so there's so many different ways you could take that that point. Um, I think one of the, the the things we need to do most urgently is uh, train our healthcare professionals. Uh, better regarding chronic pain. Um, mm. I think that's probably one of the, you know, if, if we were to think sequentially about the things that are perhaps most important to do, I think mm. that would be the first thing to do. Um, because, and I, I think we should start at undergraduate because that's mm. where people are probably still more malleable in their beliefs. Right. And um, and it, it's it's logistically much easier. To, to reach them mm -hmm. um but also we need to to reach out to those qualified clinicians as well uh, um and it will be harder to reach the more established i think because um they will their original training was probably so far removed 
from this this type of messaging and this type of approach that it's re it will be i think quite challenging for many to 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 engage with this approach and to and to to to, to, to adapt it um but i think the vast vast majority of clinicians are um passionate about giving the very best care to yeah. their 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 patients and i think it's not necessarily that they're unwilling to listen but mm -hmm. rather that they haven't been given the opportunity to listen and yeah. they, they, they haven't been engaged as they should and i think that's a really important thing that needs to happen um right across the 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 world um in terms then of I guess post-surgical pain. I think there's quite a, a, again, every health system that I've been involved in is fragmented in nature. We mm. try and do multidisciplinary work and that has helped enormously. Um, but there's still a great deal of fragmentation. And I think there's, there's an element of, we do our job, our mm. bit of the process uh, it happens as, the more and more specialized you get the more and more this happens and uh, as a result you get um lots of really skilled individuals again only getting half the story they're there if we go back to the yeah. book analogy they only read one chapter uh, yeah. uh, um and as such especially in the case of of surgeons really really skilled and um again passionate about what they do and wanting to do a brilliant job and i have no doubt within the within that narrow um surgical moment mm -hmm. i have no doubt that the vast majority of them much like the vast majority of physios vast majority of researchers will do a, an awesome and excellent job but I'm not so sure that many of them are in, involved in the aftercare a great deal. Mm -hmm. I think they may be involved briefly in the acute care. Um, they may come and visit the patient afterwards for you know maybe two or three times over the course of the week before they before they leave perhaps or return home. Um, they may see them a, a month later just to follow up right. to see how they are. Maybe. Maybe not, but uh, that that's still within that acute subacute period. Um, so it's it, sir. I would I would assume certainly in 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 my expectations, I would expect someone to still have pain uh, associated with the trauma of the surgery within those time periods. So if someone said I uh, pain, I said oh, that's of course you have. We've just yeah. done something quite invasive to your tissues. Yeah. yeah. It, but I'm not sure how many um, then follow up beyond that. I mm -hmm. think they, 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 it would be logical within a biomedical expectation to say, okay, well, after the three months, they'll be fine. Their pain mm -hmm. will have gone. But the reality is for many, they won't have chronic pain post-surgical pain the rates vary from about 10 to 50 percent in the the literature that i've read but i i have no doubt it'll vary in in other mm -hmm. studies as well but it, it you know there's a significant proportion of people who mm -hmm. go on to develop post-surgical chronic pain and i'm not sure that um those involved in the acute surgical care are really really aware of that or the extent of that um I, I i think one of our jobs is to create a more um a more uh, cohesive package of care where where we we raise our heads out of our mm. our, our silos and our individual bits and we mm. all look at the work of our multidisciplinary colleagues uh, and the and the journey of the patient in 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 full um because i think only by doing that that's essentially reading the full book yeah. only by doing that do we get the full picture and if you get the full picture then i think you can begin to 
think like, well, how can we change mm. to make to make this story different for right. other people in the future? And you've talked a lot about providers over here and how providers approach pain management, but what are the common misconceptions that people hold that are causing this behavior, or causing people to come in and ask for medicines? What, what are the conceptions um, or misconceptions I, behind that, actually? So I, 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 th- I, I think we kind of touched on them earlier because they, they link did. to, they yeah. link to um, the flip and pain key messages. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Okay. The, the, key, the key one for me is that hurt doesn't mean harm. I think yeah. most people believe if you have pain, it's because you have uh, some form of tissue pathology or, or disease process going on. Mm. And they believe that the, the more intense the pain, the worse the tissue pathology or disease is. And then if that, patholo- if that pain does not subside in the long term, it means that that injury has not healed or that uh, a disease process has not uh, subsided or finished. Um, and those are, 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 are three uh, misconceptions, misunderstandings about persistent pain, because um, very much that hurt does not necessarily mean harm and you can have pain long after normal tissue healing has occurred and I I think one of the one of the one of the most obvious examples of this for me is is um, chronic lower back pain Mm. Um, 90% of people with chronic lower back pain have non-specific lower back pain it's pain Mm -hmm. for no obvious structural cause with all our amazing scans and our amazing uh, uh, investigations and techniques there's no overt uh, organic pathology that can Mm -hmm. be directly linked to being causative of the pain Mm -hmm. and um, just think about how many people have back pain it's the leading yeah, you go absolutely on and off, on and off. But yeah, yeah, it comes and sure. goes, but I do have it. Sure, it's, the, it's and I look the... at my mattress and I look at my chair. I'm like, you're the culprit, <laughs> but that's clearly not the case. I can change my chair, but the back pain's not gonna go. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's that's a, that you've 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 really touched on such an important uh, uh, component of it. We we want to blame quick fix. something. Do you know what I mean? Uh, we we want to say it's it's because of the external environment, um, or it's because of A, B, or C, and actually it will probably be a multitude of factors. The key one being that you're a human being, and oh, go away! <laughs> by by being a human being. It, it you know the chances are you'll you'll get back pain at some point in your life it's so pervasive um so it, it, it's i i think and and and, then, and this touches i think on on what i hope my talks will be focusing upon when when we get to the conference is this idea that we we have a tendency to um, look at the environment we're in Mm -hmm. in um, sort of glasses that are the opposite to rose tinted what do you you know the term rose tinted Um, glasses yes so if you if you wear rose tinted glasses when you look at everything you see everything in a really sunny positive way I, I think a lot of the time the Batman tinted glasses because everything's dark and dreary. Oh, say that. Opposite. Say that again. Batman tinted glasses. <laughs> the opposite Batman. of rose tinted. Batman. The Batman. Batman. The super. Oh, the, the super Batman. Yes. Yeah. Everything's yeah. Yeah. The dark Batman. and gloomy the whole time. Yeah. You very gothic glasses. Batman tinted yes. glasses. Love it. Lovely. We yeah. <laughs> we look at things through Batman. Th- so we look at that at at the bed, and we think. 
that that there's your there's the guilty party right there because of how hard the surface is going to be or how soft the surface can be and there's a wonderful i believe people refer to it as the goldilocks uh, uh, um, philosophy that essentially you need to find things that are just right for you and 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 it's uh, as a result um i think we we feed that biomedical model and we we feed fear and anxiety and worry associated with that pain it it all feeds into supporting a biomedical understanding of that pain that you know it's the bed because of the way the bed pushes on your your tissues meaning those tissues are somehow being damaged damaged or put out of place or poor alignment and um that is what's causing the pain Mm -hmm. and we can only we can only uh, um, resolve that pain by correcting the alignment or reducing the strain. And if that pain persists, well, then that alignment must be really going on, or that straining must be really going on. And if you know, if we keep straining something, well, then eventually it's going to deteriorate, mm-hmm. and that's increases the fear and anxiety and worry and it becomes a vicious circle yeah. that feeds into the fear avoidance beliefs uh, 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 theory which is really one of the key fundamental theories that underpins uh, 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 how, we, how how we understand persistent pain um, and it, it, we've been doing that uh, we're taking that approach for years decades decades and decades and decades and it does not seem to be helping all it seems to be doing is increasing the prevalence of persistent pain conditions we need to take a different approach and the science says we is pointing us in a biopsychosocial approach a a, a way where we say okay well look there's a whole load of things that might be playing a a, a part here and efficient movement may well be one of them and it's good to move efficiently and 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 that that's that's important but actually the evidence around that is not as convincing let's say or as developed Mm -hmm. as the evidence around the role of psychosocial factors Mm -hmm. and how they lead to the development of persistent pain so we shouldn't ignore the evidence from either group Uh, and they don't have to run in in isolation Mm. we need to work together to knit them in such a way as we encourage we encourage people to to not worry about or or, or to not unnecessarily worry Mm. about their their health and well-being and actually to be to be more positive about it mm. and to be more to expect more positive effects the expectation effect if you've ever read the, the there's a book called the expectation effect uh that it 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 escapes me who wrote it um but if any of your listeners have some time i don't i, I get no royalties by the way i don't i, I don't i don't know the the author and i i, I get no money in return but i, David I, I Rob, robson david it? robson what a what a beautiful book and uh, what a lovely what a lovely narrative it gives mm-hmm. and uh, he's got a lovely section on um aging mm-hmm. and uh, in that he talks about how our views on aging our expectations about aging actually have a material consequences for our health and well-being as we get older so uh, um in one of the studies he quotes and i can't remember the specific one um where they explored individuals beliefs about aging in a sort of an under 50s age group so sort of middle-aged point and they ask them things like, you know, at what point do you get old? And, you, you know, kind of things which which indirectly explored 
your your views on aging you know whether whether you saw aging as a positive natural experience mm-hmm. that 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 brings with it its own opportunities or whether you saw it as something that was a an inevitable conveyor belt of doom and they <laughs> they, they they adjusted i love that <laughs> Absolutely, and they they adjusted for a variety of different of different um, factors, and when they washed it out, th- those who had a more positive view mm-hmm. lived for seven and a half years longer. Ooh. Isn't that an enormous amount? Yes. <laughs> Imagine if we could give a pill. That told people, take this pill and you'll live for an extra seven and a half years. You wouldn't be able to keep it on the shelves. Nope. But actually, just having a more positive expectation about aging naturally brings about uh, um, real tangible benefits in terms of mortality and morbidity. Now, the, these uh, um, these expectation effects, they permeate nearly every aspect of our um, sort of society and, and mm-hmm. situations, including the occupational health setting, um, right. where, where more positive expectations can lead to better health outcomes. Now, mm-hmm. I, I think that the, 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 the data within the occupational health setting is something that I am only coming to myself. Um, so I would not at all claim to be an expert in ex- the role of expectations mm-hmm. in the occupational health setting. But from what I've read thus far, it's a really exciting opportunity. Um, on a practical level, I, I don't think it's being harnessed very much at all. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's enough evidence from other fields to suggest that there's there's no reason why this same approach should not bring about similar positive results within the occupational health setting. So um, I think if we could harness those positive belief systems, if we could change the mindset, if we could reframe work away from being seen as a place that's full of risks that need to be avoided to maximize health benefits. And if we flip that around Mm. to say that the workplace is full of potential health benefits, um, because we know it is health, work is good for your health. It brings low, you know, the the study after study unequivocally, being at work is good for you. Uh, 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 And- Just so you um, know, I'm going to hide this section from my boss. We'll just keep it between us. Just, this, little, this little just be for us. Um, but it, it, if we if we could if we could shift that view to saying, well, actually, the workplace is good for you. It, it's it's a place that w- 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 brings about plenty of of good, positive health benefits. And like everywhere else, there will be some risks thrown in there as well. But and, and and we need to be conscious of those and mm-hmm. and appreciate them and and manage them. But ultimately, this it's a it's a healthy space. It's a mm-hmm. place you should try and get to 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 feel better. Uh, um, uh, I think if, if we could change that view around, if we could flip it and and, and there's tactics out there to facilitate that 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 change in view and I, I i believe one of those includes changing our understanding of pain i i i think that's that's part of that but it's more than that it's also about that expectation effect and shifting that too and, and, and they're they're very comfortable bedfellows they both go together really well uh, um um and and i i think could make a a really positive impact within the occupational health setting without without a, a great deal of resource. Hmm. You gave me a great example last time we talked about um, an experiment run in the UK uh, with uh, 
cleanums or garbage workers? Yes. Yes. Okay. And that's the, yeah, that's one of my absolute favorite studies. Uh, I, I think the author was Crum. Um, and the, the oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me see if I can find it here in my notes. Um, okay. It's called Mindset Matters. Um, and it's published by Crum and Langer mm -hmm. uh, in what year? 2007. So you know this isn't this isn't new science per se, uh, 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 um, but it's it, it's more about knowledge mobilization. Mm. It's more about taking the scientific knowledge that's that's hidden away on the shelves and bringing them into the conscious awareness of yes, healthcare professionals and occupational health professionals, but also the general public and workers. Um, yeah, so in this study, which is a lovely study, um, they, it was it was working with um, cleaners in mm -hmm. large um, organisations, and it was a, a, a randomised trial. I think it was I think it was it was group randomisation rather than individual right. randomisation. But right. let's let we, you know. That that aside, the results. That's that's yeah. the most interesting. That, that, you you just you just want to don't don't bore us. Get to the chorus. <laughs> that's what you're saying. You are just to skip on. So okay. So what they found was they had two, two groups. Um, one group got told, well, you know, when we look at all the activity you're doing in your cleaning day to day job, actually you're meeting the Surgeon General's recommendations for physical activity levels. You, your job is helping you to be super fit and, and, and to meet those physical activity guidelines. You're exercisers. You are, you know, they, they, they look, put the rose tinted glasses on that physical activity. And then they had the Batman group. In the mm -hmm. Batman group, they gave them the same information in terms mm -hmm. of what is physical activity, uh, et cetera. So, 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 so the, the numbers, the benign information was similar, but the, 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 the rose tinted glasses of it, the, the joining the dots yeah. of your meeting those physical activity guidelines yeah. and, and, and thus your work is good for you. Mm -hmm. That wasn't part of, the, of the, what the control group received. And they measured a variety of different health care markers, including um, uh, waist to hip ratio, uh, um, BMI and blood pressure. Yeah. And what they found was in the um, positive expectancy information group, I think it was, might've been a month, uh, maybe three months later. I can't remember the exact details, but the, the, um, all those health metrics had improved in the positive group and were unchanged in the control group. Nothing else had changed. They monitored their physical activity levels, so they hadn't changed their physical activity levels as a result or their behaviors. The, the, the only thing they changed was their, their expectancy mm. about their work and it being good for them. And uh, um, it had not just a, an effect on their, let's say their mental health, Mm -hmm. and their their perceived well-being but it had a a tangible objective effect on on health biomarkers uh which which think about how little money that costs to do um yeah. and uh, how how easy it was and to do it's such an accessible way of yeah preventing hu something and hu yeah hugely scalable yeah you know uh, uh, um, um, and th I think we could harness that and I, I'd like uh, that we harnessed it more. And what I hope is that people who come to um, my workshops or, or my, my, my uh, keynote lecture, that they will, they will go away from those mm -hmm. thinking, okay, right, but actually I can um, change the environment for my um, staff, my workers, um, to to create a positive expectancy effect that in no way increases any of the negative 
risks associated with them. We're still going to work efficiently, ergonomically, positively, but we're going to do it in a way that, that doesn't scare them and actually um, um, promotes a sense of, 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 of positivity and an expectation about all the positive benefits that come from being at work. Uh, I, I, I hope I, I want them to go away and, 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 and uh, there will be sort of tips and ideas on how to do that, mm-hmm. primarily around changing understanding of, of um, pain, but mm-hmm. also a little bit about how to change expectancies a little bit as well. That's wonderful. And so um, question for you now, because you're a professor and you do a lot of work in awareness. Um, do you have any advice for people who are undergraduates or just finished graduating and want to get into the field of pain management? Ooh, or they're in good. the field of research? Or, uh, well, I, I, I'll, I'll go for the research one if I can, um, because I think um, a lot of young clinicians and students, as they come out, they'll think of a variety of different clinical jobs they'll want to go to. That's the natural progression that you might do. And and that's brilliant. And that's why 99% of them will have gotten onto the course in order to go into clinical practice and do that. But there will be a very, very small minority, 0.5% or 1%, who are thinking to themselves, do you know, I really enjoyed the research component of the of what I've done as a student. Um, and they'll be thinking, you know, I'd like to do research, but it's not a viable career. It's not a it's not it, it's not an avenue that's that's open to, to me. But sometimes all you need to do is look. All you need to do is say, well, well where are those opportunities? Go to your local universities, contact them, look online for, for uh, uh, opportunities for, for doctoral fellowships, pre-doctoral fellowships, etc. There are always opportunities. Um, and embarking upon a research career, it's an extremely fulfilling, diverse, uh, you get lots of free travel. <laughs> you get to travel to wonderful countries like India, see it, explore new cultures, uh, 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 um, taste new foods, uh, and you get to do it all on someone else's. <laughs> You're really appealing to the hashtag Wanderlust crowd right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and uh, But also, you get to spread good messages. You get to take yeah. scientific understanding to, 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 to new places. Um, and you get to learn from those places and bring them back to your own places and and, and make people in your own uh, uh, locality better as well and, and have better lives so it, it's a really fulfilling career if you're if you're thinking that it's it's something you'd like to do don't not do it because it's it's easier or it's it's more expected that you'll 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 go the the clinical route yeah. just uh, because the the lines the roads ahead of you doesn't mean you need to walk on it absolutely yeah well thank you professor uh, this was a wonderful interview and uh, i look forward to seeing you in bangalore thanks aditi it's been a real pleasure to talk to you mm-hmm.